you are in for a treat from a very gifted man bringing the word to us this morning. So let me pray for us. We'll read the word and then uh, invite Bill up. Pray with me, will you? God, we, we are a people who wander. Each of us go our own way, and, and yet you have given us this word. This word that is a light unto our feet. God, we, we know that it is what illuminates the direction and the path that you have for our lives. So God, with open hearts, we, we receive it this morning. God, we pray that as we, we read through this, you would make it fall afresh on us again. Or that we might be changed by it. That we might be moved by it. And that by your Holy Spirit, you might lead us by your word this day. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So Acts 9, verses 10 to 19. Let's now hear God's word. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Bill, come on up. If you don't mind, I'm going to stand here because I don't like pulpits to get in the way. Ah, sorry. It is a delight for Ruth and me to be with you again this morning. We look forward to our times in Montana probably as much as any uh, trips that we make. You've become very special to us. Uh, I had the privilege of working with your session at the time that you were considering whether you should call Ryan or not. Um, and you were wise in following our direction and uh, calling Ryan. And it is a privilege to be able to share with you from God's word this morning. The text that we have uh, read for us this morning is a very important text in the, life of the, in the life of the Church of Jesus Christ overall, and I hope to show that to you this morning before we're done. It begins with a very important phrase. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. We are so used to reading scripture, seeing it kind of in the flat, that we miss some of the dynamics that play out. So it isn't just nuances, it's the dynamics of relationship that unfold in the text as you read it. 
In Damascus, there was a disciple. And in just a few minutes, we're going to find out what the significance of that little word, disciple, actually is. Ananias is awakening. In that liminal space between sleep and being fully aware, he has a vision. And in the vision, he hears the Lord saying, Ananias. And Ananias, Ananias has heard the voice of God over and over again in his life. And every time God had called him, there was something significant that God had to say to him. And so Ananias' response is just delightful. He says, here I am, Lord. I want you to know that's the last time in this pericope that Ananias is going to be excited. Here I am, Lord. Ananias, I want you to get up. I want you to go to Straight Street. And I want you to go to the house of Judas. Yeah, I know Straight Street. And yeah, I, Judas is a member of our church. So yeah, I know him. I want you to go there because I want you to inquire for a man from Tarsus by the name of Saul. He's praying. And Ananias stops dead in his tracks. And he goes, Lord, you don't get out much, do you? I've heard a lot about this man, how he has laid waste your church. How do we know about Saul of Tarsus? We have to go back to the chapter uh, 6 of the book of Acts, where in the church in Jerusalem, the widows who were Hellenists, those who were Greek-speaking Jewish women, were being overlooked in the, dis the daily distribution. The church was taking care of widows and orphans per James' requirement. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were taking care of the, the uh, widows and orphans. And the Hellenists, those who spoke Greek, were being overlooked. There was some prejudice in the early church. They decided that it was too important for the apostles to continue preaching and teaching that they needed to identify seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of good character, good reputation in the community. And they raised up seven people, one of whom was named Stephen. And I have to tell you, Stephen was probably misplaced because Stephen's ministry was really not the ministry of helps as a deacon. He wasn't really called for the purpose of giving aid to the Hellenist widows. It turns out he was gifted in evangelism and apologetics. And he stands up and he begins to preach and people are being converted all over the place under his preaching. And there's a guy in the crowd by the name of Saul of Tarsus who instigates a riot against Stephen, has him martyred, and while everyone else is executing him by throwing stones, Saul is standing there quietly, and they've laid their cloaks at his feet. That's what Ananias knows about a man from Tarsus named Saul. And God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and inquire of a man named Saul because he's praying. 
Ananias protests. He doesn't want to go. He's heard all of these things about Saul of Tarsus. We live in a culture that reflects what Ananias was thinking at the moment. We live in a culture that paralyzes people with their past actions. I'm not a big fan of Jeopardy, uh, the program. I don't like getting into Jeopardy either, but I don't, like the, I don't necessarily watch Jeopardy. But I've been very intrigued by what's been happening is they've been trying to find a host to follow Alex Trebek. Two of the people that they had identified as co-hosts, if, you, if you've been following this, you know the story. Two of the people that have been, that have been identified as co-hosts uh, to follow Alex Trebek have been waylaid because of things that they did in the past. In our culture, there is no redemption. You are your last mistakes. Imagine if the gospel was that. Ananias actually is living with the very human tendency to pigeonhole people based on what they had done in the past. And so he says to the Lord, Lord, I've heard a lot about this guy. I don't want to have anything to do with him, is basically what he says. Back in the 70s, which scares me to say is almost 50 years ago now, you may have heard of a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Part of the Watergate um, brouhaha that developed back in 74, 75, 76. Chuck Colson was uh, known as the hatchet man for the, uh, for the Nixon administration. And um, under the pressure of what was going on in his life, he went to see a friend of his by the name of Tom Phillips. Tom Phillips was president of Raytheon Corporation. Tom Phillips was a passionate follower of Jesus. Chuck went in to visit with him. Tom shared the gospel with him. Chuck didn't respond at the moment, but he got into his car and was driving home. And a few miles down the road, all of a sudden, waves of emotion swept over him. And he wept and wept and wept and surrendered his life to Jesus. Back in Washington, D.C., there was a group of uh, political leaders and otherwise who had created an organization called Fellowship House, where Christian senators and congressmen, uh, Christian leaders in the Washington, D.C. area used to gather for worship and prayer and uh, discipleship with each other. One of the members of that, um, of, of that Fellowship House was a very liberal senator from the state of Iowa by the name of Harold Hughes. Now, it may come as a surprise to you that there was a time in our history that Democrats and Republicans hated each other. <laughs> Doug Coe, one of the leaders of Fellowship House, contacted Harold Hughes, said, Harold, I need you to come to my house. We have a new believer that I want to introduce you to. And Harold said, Doug, who is it? He says, I'll, I'll let you know when, when you get here. Um, Harold was not pleased with that statement, but he, because he loved Doug Coe, 
came to Fellowship House. Doug met him at the door. Well, Chuck Colson had arrived earlier, and Doug had put him in the dining room so that he could go and meet Harold at the front door. He meets Harold at the front door. Harold looks at him and says, all right, Cole, who is it? And uh, Doug Cole said, Harold, uh, it's Chuck Colson. And Harold blew a gasket. Here was his statement. He said, I don't even want him to be a Christian. Doug said, got to hear his story. So they walk into the dining room. Harold Hughes had, he's a former truck driver in the state of Iowa. Harold Hughes had hands the size of my head. I mean, he was a big dude. Sits down across from Chuck, says, all right, Colson, spill it. And Chuck began to tell him the story of how the Lord had reached through to him through the witness of his friend Tom Phillips. And as he shared, Harold was just overwhelmed, but he was still Harold. He took his big hands, slammed them bound on the table, and he said, I've heard enough. Brother Chuck, and he embraced him and welcomed him into the family of God. Because, you see, our past does not have to define us. It's not the past that defines us. It's the transforming power of the gospel that transforms us. One side note, shortly after that, Chuck turned himself in and he went to minimum security prison. Years later, Harold Hughes and Chuck Colson came to Iowa. Ruth and I were serving in Iowa at the time. We had a gathering of Harold Hughes and Chuck Colson and 10,000 of their closest friends in the Veterans Auditorium in, uh, in Des Moines. And um, Chuck told us uh, that night, he said, what you all don't know is um, just before I went in to uh, turn myself in, he said, I went to the registrar of voters and changed my registration to Democrat. He said, I couldn't stand the thought of a Republican being in, in prison. So <laughs> the guys played with each other mercilessly and loved each other passionately because of what Christ had done in their lives. For Ananias, Ananias had to understand that that which he had experienced of God's redeeming grace could also transform the likes of Saul of Tarsus. And he began to make his way to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. Interesting little tidbit here, however. As Ananias is protesting, God says, um, Ananias, I have something to tell you. This is Saul of Tarsus in a vision. He's seen a man named Ananias come to lay hands on him to restore his sight. You notice that? God had already told Saul that Ananias was going to come before he asked Ananias if he would come. Folks, I've walked with the Lord a long time. I've been, I, I've been a follower of Jesus for longer than many of you have been alive. Um, 
And it troubles me to say that, by the way. In all of the years that I've walked with the Lord, never once has a conversation with him begun with, Bill, how would you like? Because he doesn't ask for our permission. He gives us his orders. But by the time Ananias got to the house of Judas on Street Street, look at how he addresses Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you has sent me to you that you might recover your sight. Ananias had heard the voice of God. He had been aware of God's voice. He knew when God spoke with him. His life was shaped by the scripture. His passion was to follow. Dear ones, the challenge that we have in America today, and I want to be very bold and very blunt with you. The trouble we have in America today is many of our values are shaped by our American culture and not by the scriptures. And it's because we don't know them. In my own case, I have to tell you, I had served as pastor for a number of years and one of the most difficult disciplines that I had in my life was getting into the word of God on a daily basis in personal devotion. When we went to Iowa, there was a gentleman there who had uh, been trained with navigators. The people who were going to be coming in here on Wednesday night. And I went to him. His name was Harold Cleaver. Not H-A-R-O-L-D. His name was H-E-R-A-L-D. You know, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Harold Cleaver became an angel of mercy in my life. I went to him and I said, Cleve, I need you to hold me accountable. He said, Bill, you're my pastor. I said, Harold, your powers of observation stun me. <laughs> I need somebody to hold me accountable. He demurred. His last name was Cleaver, but it's not C-L-E-A-V-E-R. It was K-L-I-E-W-E-R. Cleaver. I'm in perfect sense, German. I'm Enns, also German. I looked at him and I said, I will not let you go. I need you to disciple me. He said, okay. So we meet at the colony kitchen off Interstate 80 in Des Moines, Iowa. We sit down. Harold looks across at me and he said, so Bill, you're seven for seven? I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, I want to know, are you seven days in the word for seven days in the week? I know. Well, I'm in the Word five days a week because I have to study to preach. He said, I'm not interested in you studying to speak to the likes of me. I want to know if you're in the Word for the likes of you. So next week, get together. So, Bill, seven for seven. Oh, Cleve, how about five for seven? I take the weekend off. He says, that's not good enough. This is not going to work unless you commit to being in Scripture seven days a week. That was 1974. Every morning when I wake up, I hear Harold Cleaver's voice in my head saying, So, Bill, you seven for seven? And because of his faithfulness in holding me accountable, 
And this is to his praise and not mine. I haven't missed a day since 1974. I want my life to be shaped by the word of God. And if we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, the word of God has to dwell in our hearts richly. And we have to know the voice of God when he speaks. So when he calls us, we will follow. And my prayer for me is that my Lord will have enough confidence in me that he can tell somebody that I'm going to see that a guy named Bill is coming to minister to him without having checked with me first. Ananias goes. He lays his hands on Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul because Ananias was faithful in his call. We have today two-thirds of the New Testament and the entire theological underpinning of our reform tradition comes out of the writings of that man. But there's another interesting little tidbit here, folks. Do you realize that Ananias appears for 10 verses in the New Testament? We never hear from him again. Never once. But because Ananias was faithful to go to Straight Street in the house of Judas to lay hands on a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus, we have two-thirds of the New Testament. And the Gentile church, which includes all of us, have come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. In Bozeman, there's a disciple. And it's you. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we pray that you would lead us deeply deeply, deeply into your character, into your word, and may we be obedient servants of yours. May our lives reflect your praise, and as a result of our faithfulness, Lord, would you continue to build the church. In Jesus' name, amen.